Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Shalom Yudim, Shalom Lebenei Noach, Shalom Goyim. It's the evening of the fourth day, Kaf Zayin Bekislev, the third candle of Hanukkah, Tav Shin Pei Beis, 5782, the evening of the third day, Tuesday, 30 November 2021. You're listening to the program program, webcasting on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com, coming to you from the land promised to the sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not to Ishmael, whose seed has been embittered by that ever since. In this edition of Phantom Nation, we will address an age-old problem and also a most contemporary one. In 1835, Edward Lane, an English traveler and painter responsible for the cover art on my book uh, with the name Phantom Nation on the cover, available at Given Publishing and on Amazon, however much I hate to say that, since uh, just the other day, Jeff Brazos just handed over $100 million to the covert jihadi in the White House for eight years, named for the second assassinated caliph, in Islam's bloody history. Edward Lane lived in Egypt for a time in the early years of the 19th century, and in writing about the Egyptians, he remarked on one of their ideas of fun, which was throwing rocks at Jews, uh, which just also happened to be in the news today. Along Route 60, the main north-south uh, road in Judea and Samaria, there's been a serious uptick in the stoning of Jewish vehicular traffic by the uh, Goyim there, and today there was a demonstration in the morning at the entrance to an outpost of settler colonial Arab Muslims in the tribal land of Benjamin, a place called Luban, because there the boys have made it a routine of uh, pelting passing Jewish cars with rocks, which experience teaches us is an attempted murder. And this week we shall offer a fresh way of facing this aggression. The startup nation has come up with the Iron Dome anti-missile missile system. The uh, Merkava tank, some consider the world's best, but when it comes to the pelting of Jews with lethal projectiles thrown by Ishmael clones, nothing has ever been done. And as always, yours truly attributes that to Israel's defective Jewish identity. They turn away from their rights as Jews to peace and tranquility in our ancient promised land and worry too much about what world anti-Jewry would think of us if we did what we have to do. And we'll bring as evidence the behavior of the Israeli left, whose role models are the world's anti-Jews. And we'll get started after a message or two from Israel News Talk Radio. Hello, I am Walter Bingham. If you want to hear the news behind the news and the true perspective on world affairs, then The Walter Bingham File is the program for you. We bring you interviews with the movers and shakers, political commentaries, and on-the-spot reports of events as they happen. All here every Tuesday, 4 p.m. Israel Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time. And it's all archived on our website. Make it a date.
Shalom Yudim, Shalom Lebenei Noach, Shalom Goyim. It's the evening of the fourth day, Kav Zayim B'Kislev, the third can of Hanukkah, Pash Tashin Pei Beis, 5782, the evening of the third day, Tuesday, 30 November 2021. You're listening to the program, program webcasting on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com, coming to you from the land promised to the sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not to Ishmael. And the seed of Ishmael has been embittered by that ever since. In the year 1868, I think, Moses Montefiore, the Jewish uh, philanthropist in England, uh, still vital at age 84, made his last of seven trips in his lifetime from Israel, uh, from London rather, to Israel, at a time when each journey took days, uh, not hours like today in a plane. And And when he was here then, he wrote a letter to the Sultan in Istanbul asking permission to construct an awning jutting out from the top of the Temple Mount, overlooking the Western Wall in order to shield the Jews down below uh, at prayer, because Muslim boys, for fun, just like to stand above the wall and throw rocks at the heads of the Jews praying down below. This was the fate of the Jews in Jerusalem that year, and had been for more than a thousand years under barbaric backward Turkish Muslim rule. I've had my car windows smashed twice, with thrown rocks and bottles, thrown by boys with murder in their eyes. Hitting the bullseye for them would be throwing a good-sized rock into my face uh, to kill me. Uh, it is no fun to be stoned like that, and Israel has yet to think up a defense. Iron Dome anti-missile missiles uh, were invented by our crackerjack engineers, but nobody has come up with anything against these Ishmaelites throwing rocks at Jews. No solution at all. This morning, uh, the Jews living in Eli and environs held a demonstration outside the nearby Arab settlement of Luban in order to protest the boys in that community, Arab Muslim settler colonialists, whose idea of patriotism is throwing rocks at Jewish heads and preferably at the Jewish women drivers because they're less likely to be armed. It has uh, become, uh, and for a long time really there, uh, a fact of life for the Jews living in those communities, living on the land of Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin. Ailey is just down the road from Shiloh, uh, pronounced in the American South as Shiloh, site of a famous Civil War battle. Well, the Jews in these communities are fed up with the endless rock-throwing, which obviously the Israeli army has never thought of a way to combat. So here's a start in that direction, uh, inspired by the ideas of a legendary Israeli of the generation of 1948, fought then, Chaim Kilevakov, uh, blessed memory, was born in the Lower Galilee in the 1920s in Yavniel, a legendary Jewish community surrounded by Arabs, with whose boys Chaim, as a boy, became friends and played games with. He learned their language, spoke it like a native. In the 1930s, he fought Arab terror under Ord Wingate, during the Arab Revolt of 1936-1939, after fighting in the Independence War, uh, he operated as an IDF spy behind enemy lines in Arab lands. He was considered in the IDF to be the one who knew the Arabs the best. I met him 50 years after the Arab Revolt in 1988 during the First Intifada and asked him his opinion of how Israel was handling that generation's Arab uprising. He slowly shook his head at the ineptitude. He said the problem was that 
the fathers of the rioters don't want this and have no control over their sons, and Israel has to help them change that. His idea was that when faced by a mob of rock-throwing, mostly boys, teenagers, the army should capture even one, take him home immediately, collect his parents and siblings, put them all in a car for a quick trip down to the Allenby Bridge into Jordan and kick them out of the country. This, he said, would put the fear into the father's uh, of these boys and uh, get the fathers to threaten their sons. Uh, Listen, Ahmed, I don't want to become a refugee in a Unwar camp in Jordan. If you throw rocks at the Jews, you're going to get it from me as never before. Today, no less, Israel is in need of fresh legislation to combat this phenomenon as never before. A new law explicitly entitled Goy Violence Against a Jew uh, could license the IDF, the police, the GSS to uh, seize a rock thrower and immediately send him into Gaza and tell him he will never come back. Let his brother Ishmaelites look after him. He'll be told he's a free man who can go wherever people will accept him. He will be told, make a life for yourself, Ahmed. Get married, have children, many wives, become very rich. The only thing you will not be able to do in this life is live here in Israel because we Jews are civilized and you are a barbarian. The Zionist movement took root when it did in the last couple decades of the 19th century, starting with the massacres of Jews in Russia, following the assassination of Tsar Alexander II in 1881. Uh, the Jews, of course, were blamed. They were no more guilty than Alfred Dreyfus was guilty in France in the next decade, but uh, that did not stop the Russian Gentiles from their rampage, their looting, rape, murder, it launched a massive Jewish flight out of the country. Went on for years, decades really. Over the next biblical generation of 40 years, some 2 million Jews uh, in Russia, Eastern Europe, would reach American shores and millions more would land in England and France, Australia, South Africa. It was the homicidal mania among the Goyim to murder Jews that led to the Zionist movement. This insane violence uh, was triggered by delusions of Jewish devilry that had become just unbearable. The Zionist enterprise was first and foremost a rescue operation, the creation of a refuge uh, from murderous goyim. And I think Israel might fortify itself and its people by declaring, passing a law, saying that the worst crime a goy in this country can commit is to be violent against a Jew, and the punishment for that will be expulsion from this country, from this state created to protect Jewish people from barbaric psychopaths for whom violence against a Jew is not only allowed, it's praiseworthy. The current situation, in particular at Eli and environs, must not be tolerated. Israel has to gird its loins, its uh, circumcised Jewish loins, and stand up to these savage Arab Muslims who think there's nothing wrong with throwing rocks at Jewish women at the wheel of a passing car. Israel has the right and the obligation to deal with such enemies of civilization mercilessly, and I don't mean cruelly. The Israeli demonstrators today at Luban, uh, luckily, uh, during the day, were invited to a pre-planned meeting nearby of the defense minister, and they were invited in, and they complained about their situation. And we learned in this report that it's IDF policy never to use live fire against a rock-throwing boy. Makes for bad pictures in the media, you know. To which I say, okay, uh, I understand that, but then do something else. Arrest and expel even one 
that could act as a major deterrent. Immediate expulsion also deserves praise for its humanity. No prison time, the culprit remains a free man, but no longer will he have the right to live here because he acted like a wild ass of a man in our country. I would say to all the Ahmads out there, you want to live among us, that's okay, but you have to behave yourself. And if you don't, we will do to you what Avraham Avinu did to Ishmael, in fear of his potential as a murderer of his son Yitzchak. Avraham expelled him. Genesis chapter 21.
Hi, everyone. This is Andrea Simento from Jerusalem inviting you to drop everything and join me on my show. Pull up a chair. We'll visit this week's quirky stories, meet fabulous guests, and discover my Israel. Together, we'll laugh, shout, and explain the topics that make us say, hey, we've got to talk about that. So get comfortable and pull up a chair with me, Andrea Simento, every Thursday on Israel News Talk Radio. Yeah, um, I can agree what we heard before. I can understand the reluctance of the IDF to kill stone-throwing teenage boys. Uh, pretty much the same age Ishmael was when he was expelled, 16, 17. So do something else. The problem is always rooted in Israel's unsettled identity. The founding fathers were not religious and did not envision a religious society. They were all born in the age of uh, Voltaire and Darwin and Marx when religion, specifically dominant Christianity, had lost favor as a living belief system. Theodor Herzl wanted not a Jewish state, but a state of Jews, no longer religious, in keeping with the intellectual fashion in Europe. And to this day, the less than enthusiastic Jewish identity here is what blocks Israel in its relationship to the Arabs. Israel expects and wants them to behave as people do in the Judeo-Christian West, when they're so different, their society, their social life, it's so different, their sex lives are so different. These people are polygamists. It's legal and good in Islam when polygamy is not good. Polygamy is an abuse of women. And that distorts the entire society. Israel wants the Arabs to behave as a normal nation when they cannot nationalism does not come naturally to the still tribal people. In 1993, on the White House lawn, Rabin and Perez and their foolish acolytes thought that in Arafat and Abbas, they were dealing with two political leaders who wanted the best for their people, and all they wanted was Judea, Samaria, and Gaza for a state next to Israel, even smaller than Israel. Those two uneducated Marxists, Rabin's parents were uh, ardent communists, and Paris, in his youth, was in love with Karl Marx, whose book Das Kapital, Shimon thought was the greatest ever. These two uneducated Marxists didn't understand that these men, Arafat and Abbas, were murderers and they weren't patriots. Israel, from its inception, has aspired to peace with these people, with the Arabs, friendly relations. This country, a century ago, was most everywhere a landscape of emptiness, desolation, a lack of human habitation and industry. Uh, there was absolutely no need for the Zionists to dispossess any of the few people who lived here because there was so much empty space. The founders uh, held no animus against the Gentiles here. Uh, there was no need for that, no desire to abuse them. The Jews bought land at exorbitant prices sold to them by Muslims who never did anything with these empty acres and thought the Jews were just stupid for buying these empty wastes. The Zionists had no animus toward the Arabs here, though uh, the leader of these Arabs in the 1920s into the 1960s was uh, a religious figure. Indeed, he was the top dog in Jerusalem, the Grand Mufti, who had made the pilgrimage, the Hajj, to Mecca, and he rated the honorific Hajj, uh, he was Haj Amin al-Husseini. Uh, the al-Husseinis were an extended family clan. He was their leader, uh, the Arabs, and his worldview was that there was no country called Palestine ever. And he was right. Since the Islamic invasion, 
Uh, it was Islamically heretical to even think uh, uh, that Al Yahud had the right to an independent state in Jerusalem and environs in this country that they called Syria. The irony of the post religious Zionists uh, was that they were confronted by a man whose whole identity was nothing but religion and being religiously hostile to Jews. Israel, the modern state, has never been able to face the reality that the founders' dream of creating a non-religious state that would uh, end anti-Semitism has never been realistic. And that's because the enemy's core identity is his religion, which is a religion of Jew hatred. The result, I believe, of the buried unconscious psyche of the Arab Muslims is the simple truth that Islam is nothing but the theft of Judaism. They know that at some deep level. Christianity came up with its own narrative, uh, the story of Jesus and his disciples, written in the language of the enemy Greeks. Uh, that's what they append to our Tanakh, versus Islam, which did not come up with its own narrative. It's out-and-out intellectual property theft, literally identity theft. Islam means submission and alludes to the binding of Ismail in Mecca by Ibrahim, who submitted to Allah's command. And it's not as the Jews lie when they say that Isak was a bound for a sacrifice in Al-Quds. Israel's weak Jewish identity and the eternal temptation among Jews to abandon this people and join the Gentiles. This is Hanukkah week, and that's what this holiday is all about. Israel's chronic mistake has been aspiring for friendship with the Arab Muslims, when a more responsible posture would be as much alienation from them as possible and greater control over them. Keep these people at arm's length and feel no responsibility for their welfare. It's Jewish preening, Jewish narcissism, to take pride in being as righteous with the Arabs as we are. They commit a crime against a Jew, and we give the criminal a trial and a lawyer and prison time, all at our expense. I say kick the violent ones out of the country. Trouble is, when we have made ourselves to them, this is difficult, when we have made ourselves slaves to them by relying on them for so much labor, Malay Shalom Yerushalmi last week reported on how a lockdown uh, to isolate the Shuafat so-called refugee camp in North Jerusalem with its high COVID infection rate was contemplated but abandoned when people realized the numerous roles the Arabs who live there play in running Jerusalem, working in its hospitals, its schools, gas stations, restaurants. I saw the other day that 70% of Israel's truckers are Arabs. Still, violent against Jews must become a main topic of discussion in our Knesset. The Knesset needs a basic law saying that the worst crime a Gentile in Israel can commit is violence against a Jew. Of course, such a law will enrage the woke. Anti-Jews worldwide will convulse with outrage at Israel expelling an ancient Palestinian from his ancient homeland. To which Israel should reply, the one expelled is not a Palestinian. There's nothing Palestinian about him. Uh, he's a Muslim, he's an Arab on land the Arabs always called Syria. He's therefore a Syrian, and he should go live in that state. Israel has the right and obligation to do whatever is necessary to protect Jewish life in Judea and Samaria, no less than in Tel Aviv. But again, as always, Israel has never asserted the rightness of Jews living in Judea and Samaria and making the area 100% part of the state of Israel. Since 1967, the national fantasy has been handing back much of the spoils of war, but not all and certainly not the Temple Mount, and the Arabs will accept our vision of the future like that. They will be content 
with less than all of the turf Jordan lost in 1967, where they can create their own little state next to ours, and our state will dwarf, dwarf them in size, and uh, the new Philistia will be dependent, uh, just like today, on Israel for employment, but that's what Israelis want them to want. The entirety of the two-state solution is nothing but the germ of a fantasy that is never thought through by those who demand to see it implemented. The two-state solution means a half a million Jews in Judea and Samaria must evacuate their homes and their communities and go live someplace else. And never mind the cost <laughs> that, would, that would accrue. Maybe some two-state devotees imagine vast tent cities in the Negev for the evacuees, like the Ma'abarot, the refugee camps in Israel in the 1950s. Wouldn't that be a sight? A half million Jews living under tents. These teachers, these social workers, nurses, doctors, lawyers... And after their expulsion, Hamas will, Hamas will take over, as they did in Gaza, because that is all the Arabs have in the way of conceptualizing their largest communal identity. Nationalism is truly little known among Arabs and in Islam. One's principal large group ID is your religion, not your nation. We forget that uh, every Arab state is also legally, officially a Muslim state. In the West... National religions went out of fashion a long time ago. The U.S. was the first to do away with there being an official national religion altogether, as there is to this very day in England, the Church of England. Nationalism is the enemy of Islam as a rival for a person's largest group identification, hence the birth of the Muslim Brotherhood, Hamas, in 1928, in opposition to the Turkish nationalism being nurtured by Ataturk in that period, which meant the uninstalling of Islam in the new Turkish state. In sum, Israel needs to wipe the mist from its eyes about peace with the Balazdinians. Israel needs rather a face-to-face -face confrontation with Islam as an ideology as hostile to Jews as Nazism was.
Are you interested in transforming your life, drawing closer to the Creator, and uncovering the deeper meanings and hidden treasures in the Hebrew Bible? Then join me, Rav Yitzhak Michelson, and me, William Hall, on the Science of Kabbalah, where we are seeking to narrow the gap between what we understand of our physical and spiritual worlds. So make sure to tune in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Israel time, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, here on Israel News Talk Radio. So, uh, not for the first time, yours truly ponders the mystery of the Israeli identity, which is not so Jewish as it should be. Take, for example, the candle lighting in Hebron two nights ago at the Cave of the Patriarchs, the family plot of the first three generations of Jewish people, where Israel's president, Isaac Yitzhak Herzog, lit the first candle of the Hanukkah lamp as Israel's leftists, its post-Jews, stewed in bitter opposition. Last May, the pogroms in Israel, uh, with their massive vandalism of Jewish property by Muslims, exposed them as a fifth column inside the country, Arabs with citizenship, who, given the right circumstances, would aid and abet an Arab onslaught, God forbid. Well, in reaction to the candle lighting in Hevron, in the double cave, we heard from the Jewish fifth columnists, the Jewish left, who plainly identify and side with the Arab fifth columnists, using the vocabulary of the enemy. Even before the ceremony, the day before, a member of the governing party in the coalition Meretz, Michal Rosin, protested the decision to hold the ceremony the next day by referencing, quote, the occupied territories. Then, on the day of, the, of lighting, the Peace Now cultists, who see the conflict through anti-Jew eyes, tweeted about their presence uh, in Kiryat Arba. They were prevented from getting close to the cave by security forces. They came to protest the event, and they said, quote, We came to say no to apartheid, no to fascism, no to violating Palestinian human rights in our name, close quote. Well, the IHRA, the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance, has this definition of anti-Semitism you've heard of. It's 37 words long, I have my own definition, which is only three. Three words. You ready? Anti-Semitism is lying about Jews. And in this Peace Now statement, there is a string of three lies about the world's only Jewish state, using the vocabulary and concepts of world anti-Jewry in our time. First, the charge of apartheid could not be more dishonest. Apartheid was the Afrikaans word in Southern Africa, for separation in society according to skin color. One's national identity card was imprinted either white, black, or mixed skin color. No such system exists in Israel. There's no law about anybody's skin color. So in that sense, this is a lie about Israel, an anti-Semitic lie. And that it comes from the mouths of Jews does not change that fact. Uh, Anti-Jew Jews are a fact of our lives. We've had in our prayers for some 19 centuries a prayer directed against anti-Jew Jews. On the other hand, the charge is useful for us for highlighting the discomfort of the anti-Jews, their unhappiness that the Jewish nation continues to exist by being separate, a people that dwells alone in the words of the Gentile prophet Bilaam. The hostility to Jews is riven with insults about individual Jews, such as we are crooks, we will Jew you in business, uh, Karl Marx said the Jews don't worship God uh, in their Bible, as they claim. They are hypocrites. They worship the God of mammon. They love money. 
Jews are pushy. They care only about other Jews. They're taught to hate non-Jews, etc., etc. These are fantasies of individual character traits, but I think the charge of apartheid goes deeper and wider than that. It's really an aggression against the existence of the Jewish nation, uh, so far the only immortal nation. Uh, we've been in business since Pharaonic Egypt. Uh, that was a nation that oppressed us terribly, but we survived and escaped, and Pharaonic Egypt no longer exists. No one speaks the language of the pharaohs. No one sacrifices to their gods. All gone. Ditto uh, our persecutors, uh, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans. All of them abused us, but we survived. And they and their languages, their cultures, their religions are no more. I once had an English friend, a Gentile, nice guy, who explained to me anti-Semitism in England why it exists, what was it about Jews that produced the hostility? And his answer was, quote, you lot stick together. And that, I think, is what contributes mightily to the hatred. Not that we so much stick together, but the fact that we do shines a light on the Creator who made and sustains this people against all odds. Jews are hated because we are living proof of the existence of our conception of the Almighty, whose greatest creation in the Garden of Eden, Adam, received his first lesson in life, uh, which he got by eating that apple, and he learned of good and evil, and a God who wanted his greatest creation, man, to choose good over evil. Some people don't want to hear that. They don't want the Jews to be around because the Jews remind them that God exists and is watching you. If ever the devil walked the earth in human form, that was Adolf Hitler, who got it right in hating the Jews for inserting conscience and guilt into the world. For Hitler, a life lived to the fullest was becoming a Teutonic warrior, a conqueror of nations, a, a one who dominates others. I recently saw some minutes of a documentary on Hitler, and it was news to me that his father had been an absolute monster of a bully who terrorized him constantly. Life was a constant state of terror in fear from his father. It made him feel weak and helpless, and that produced the monstrous adult for whom strutting before thousands of adoring, worshipping people was his greatest pleasure. The terrorized little boy became a holy terror to the world, the greatest conqueror ever, greater than Alexander, greater than Julius Caesar, greater than Napoleon, the most powerful man in the world. Hitler got it right in hating the Jews for inserting guilt into life, the same guilt Sigmund Freud, one of Hitler's victims who escaped Vienna distant time, he said that's guilt that makes us civilized. The charge of apartheid is, of course, an anti-Semitic lie, but a truth is buried there, the truth of the hatred of anti-Jews against us for setting ourselves apart, that we still exist as a nation when all the cultures who hated us are gone. There's low-level Jew hatred, seeing in Jews dishonest cheats, backstabbers, but there's also a hatred of the existence of this nationality that, unlike all others so far, remains alive and vital. You lot stick together, transmits the accusation to me that you people are still alive as a nation and with a history of satanic abuse more than once, meant to kill off this nation once and for all. Purim commemorates the Persian effort. In early 19th century Russia, the Tsar ordered all Jewish boys of a certain age, very early age, inducted into the army for a term of 25 years. 
with the goal of de-Judaizing them, preventing them from living as Jews, meaning studying what that means and behaving accordingly. All recruits would, of course, begin immediately eating non-kosher army food, bloody meat, pig meat, and so on and so forth. This was a different technique bent on exterminating the Jews. And that is the spirit infecting world anti-Jewry to this very day, and in particular among our savage, bloodthirsty Arab Muslim neighbors. Okay, this has been the program program brought to you on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com by Floridians for the Safety and Security of Israel Institute. The music you heard was composed and performed by Hillel Goldblum and Daniela Javiel. And as usual, we will conclude with Yosef Gorduner. For those who want more to program program programming and want to ease the burden of guilt at getting something for free, go to www.phantom-nation.com which offers three such podcasts a week. Subscribe, and if after a month it doesn't work for you, request and receive a full refund. And uh, buy the book Phantom Nation that some have called the best understanding of the war against Israel ever. Until next week, I'm Shai Bentekoa. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah,
love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel, plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page, and don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. If you're hearing this message, everyone else can too. Advertise with Israel News Talk Radio and get your message out to people. We'll build a personalized package for you. Contact advertising at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Straight talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, this is Jake in Anchorage, Alaska, and I love listening to all the super interesting interviews and up-to-date information on what's happening in Israel. Hello, this is Anna King, originally from London, now living in Israel. And what can I say? Israel News Talk Radio is my cup of tea. My name is Bhaskar. I'm from India, and I love listening because you get to know the truth and wonderful voices from this lovely country. Mom! Okay, wait a minute. Hi, this is Chava Dax, and I'm calling for the rolling hills of Malaya Dumim, just north of Jerusalem. I always listen to Israel News Talk Radio to get all the latest news and commentary and to keep me up to date every day. This is Sarah Dax from Malaya Dumim, and I'm 12. I wish Israel News Talk Radio was boring so my mom wouldn't listen to it all the time. Mom! You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. 